welcome to Radius of Reason. Uh, we have a bit of a different setup today to our uh, 25 subscribers on, on YouTube. And 26. 26, and our two Twitter followers, as well um, as well as what we always call out our two uh, followers in Moscow and the Kremlin. Um, hello. Good day. Uh, my name is Andre. I'm joined by uh, co-host Livon. And today we're also joined by a special guest, uh, Davis. Uh, Davis is a local, what, what do we say? He's a... Uh, local toilet philosopher. Toilet philosopher. <laughs> um, this is a, um, a new approach we're taking for the show. Uh, we'd like to feature guests occasionally that are passionate about certain subjects that have been uh, taking the time to read about or learn about certain subjects. They might not be experts on it. Uh, Davis doesn't hold a PhD in philosophy or organizational psychology, but he's been taking a lot of time to understand something called complexity theory. Um, and we felt that this was a valuable topic to introduce, given the fact that most uh, episodes we've had thus far, um, up until episode 14, uh, have loosely touched on this issue. We've talked about urban planning. We've talked about mobilization and all of this kind of loosely skirts uh, complexity theory. And we wanted to dive into it with somebody who is interested in it, passionate about it, but hasn't been warped by academia or, or, or professionalism. Uh, so that being said, Davis, welcome. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today. Excited to be a, a local toilet philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> local toilet. Strive for this this time. So, what, what, what kind of toilets do you like to sit on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. only the one. Particular brand? Only no. Just whatever's at home. And Be Bemis. Never one in out. Outside. Kohler, or is it Cole? What is it? I think it's Kohler. Kohler. K -O yeah. yeah, I think high so. quality ones. Sponsored by by Kohler. Yeah. <laughs> so, walk us through a little bit. Well, what what um. What drove you to complexity theory? Well, why is it something that you, you've been interested in? Yeah, so originally, uh, I came across the idea or the theme. Um, it was listening to some sort of business podcast. I think the guy at the time, um, or that particular podcast, he was a, a business consultant, and he had mentioned something about the Santa Fe Institute um, and kind of how they studied complexity and how it affects certain, or how complexity applies to like businesses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when I heard that at the time, I was just very interested in trying to figure out, you know, I was just interested in learning more truthfully. So I looked up the Santa Fe Institute, managed to find um, the first book, which is sitting right here. I forget the name of it. Complexity, the emerging science at the edge of order and chaos. Hmm. And so what this book outlines is just kind of how the Santa Fe Institute started, um, kind of how the study about complex systems grew um, and how it spans, you know, economics, physics, biology, chemistry, everything. Um, and it kind of outlines each professor's contribution to the Institute at the time. And then kind of ends with, uh, you know, the book ends just with them continuing their, uh, their studies going forward. And so that kind of inspired me went, after reading the book, which is very dense, by the way, <laughs> um, after finally finishing it, I just found, I really gravitated towards this idea of wanting just to learn more about what a complex system is, how it applies to my life what I can learn from it. And so I've kind of spent more time just researching more and more about what a complex system is, trying to read more. Um, I then bought this other book called Scale, which uh, is one particular professor's um, application of uh, complex systems or complexity theory into his own focus. And his is primarily biology, um, more from a biology perspective, and then he applies it to uh, cities and companies. 
So, like I said, it, it just started off as like me wanting to know, learn more, and I've actually found myself really, really intrigued, and I find some sort of fulfillment by by researching more and more into what a complex system is and how it applies to my life. And what would you say is kind of the top thing that you learned that you, from a practical standpoint? From a practical standpoint, it, it gave me some sort of understanding of like why life is the way it is, why things happen the way they happen. Um, for me, I've always had this kind of inherent belief in just balance, like things tend to balance out. Not sure why, but if you look around like, yeah, this everything's balanced. More. That's why we exist, because there is an order of balance. And I think in one of the first books it mentioned and kind of them trying to answer the question, like there's chaos. Why? Why does matter or why do things gravitate towards um, order hmm. and so they were trying to identify like all right well things do gravitate towards order so what are those rules that apply and for me personally that's i don't know just kind of understanding you know all right well why do why does the economy work the way it does why do does biology why do we grow the way we grow why do we stop growing at a certain height why are humans tend to be you know more or less the same across the board and then you have like Elephants and all these different things that emerged mm. from evolution or however you want to do it, but why and how? Um, so for me, I don't know why. I just it gave me more of like a spiritual, like oh okay, it gives a reason for it beyond just you know whatever reason. Why would it be religion or anything else? What did it do to your understanding of free will? If <laughs> just going straight for it, <laughs> but my understanding. Of no, but let, let's say you've identified <laughs> if, if complexity theory indeed indeed is almost kind of common across living organisms right from mm -hmm. us to elephants to uh, the plankton at the bottom of the ocean mm -hmm. and if we operate under certain parameters that are, that are common regardless of sentience or advancement in terms of thought or, yeah. or awareness did it shape anything for you in terms of how you understand your own experience i mean did it do anything to reduce a feeling of being unique or um free thinking to a certain extent that's a very deep question <laughs> um i would say it, it did a couple things so one the understanding that the way consciousness or brain works is just a series of synapses or electrical signals that create me um, however you define consciousness we can you can talk about that all day from my belief i am a part of a system um, it can be my familial system my community system my country system, the global system, I am a part or a small piece in that. There are things outside of my control that influence where I am, what I have access to, what my opportunities are. Um, there, those are there's a way more stuff outside of my I control than what I can control. Mm -hmm. In terms of my free will, even the way my I, I take more of a more time to understand how my brain works because I don't believe. I can't all of a sudden flip a switch and be like, all right, I'm going to be a doctoral candidate in physics. Like, I can't <laughs> like, that's just not the way my brain works. Or like all of a sudden, like I'm going to be a night owl, sleep three hours a night and just work, you know, 20, 24 or 20, 21 hours a day. Cause that's what, that's what that adds up to 21. Like I can't do that. So my brain is wired the way it is and I can try and navigate through the framework that's created for it. My free will is just more or less how I approach it. My attitude towards it. I can't really do much else. I was, blessed to be able to, you know, be somewhat intelligent and be somewhat, uh, you know, free thinking, but mm -hmm. there are constraints and I have identified those constraints and I just have to navigate through those and try and, like I said, at the end of the day, make myself the best possible. But at the end of the day, 
I am a part of a system. I'm influenced by that system. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of how I decide to navigate through those points. Very humble man. <laughs> Somewhat intelligent. Uh, unlike us. <laughs> no, normally the, these shows are just uh, like ego baiting for the two of us. But. Uh, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about the theory behind um, what you were reading on complexity. I, I tend to think about the world as almost a representation of like this mathematical substrate, right? Because you look at like parallel universe theory and the reason why they're saying, okay, there could be an infinite number of parallel universes is because it's almost like reality is a manifestation of what's mathematically possible mm-hmm. in a sense. Right. And so if like infinities, infinities are possible in mathematics and maybe they're, you know, possible in the real world, or at least this is what the physicists kind of, are forced into believing because there's only so much that you can explore about our universe with our limited uh, kind of tools at the moment. What, what does complexity theory have to say about its relationship to the more abstract realm of say mathematics? Um, do, do they speak about that? I know, I know, I know like fractals are kind of based yeah. on um, some sort of very basic, but powerful equations, right? And I think they're differential equations, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so, yeah. That sounds right. Yeah, fractals did come up in one of the books in terms of his explanation on how that applies. Uh, and like, again, I'm no expert on this at all. But I didn't, I didn't get as much from like the mathematical sense of like, like you mentioned, parallel universe, stuff like that. The most mathematical piece was just um, this professor that was particularly, stu- or he studied computer science, and he was trying to figure out... Um, Basically, it was an advent of coding and kind of, you know, what the possibilities were or what what that limit was for computers. And so from a mathematical perspective, what and I believe you can probably look it up um, and you you might have heard of it. The Game of Life. You heard about that? That sounds familiar, but it doesn't. It's uh, basically what it was. He (laughs) and I'm going to really simplify this as much as possible. There was a board with a bunch of lights on it and he created a, math, math, a mathematical equation or a system or an algorithm that basically said when one light's on, these certain lights can't turn on around that light and just let it run. And what ended up happening is at first, you know, some patterns evolved and it was kind of simple of like, well, when this light blinks, then these ones can't and then this one can blink. And after a while, um, everything came out of this, out of that algorithm. Like every pattern, every not every pattern, obviously it didn't run for an infinite amount of time, but they found that it was just a perfect representation of how life constructed itself just based on a very small set of rules. Um, so that's the most mathematical thing I picked up from it is just creation of algorithm and how it affected computers going forward. And just how, if you just make one little tiny set of rules and however you want to define it, um, mathematics is well beyond my area of expertise, but however you want to define it, anything can be created from that. Um, but I highly recommend looking up. But but it's interesting, right? That you have these repeating patterns Mm -hmm. in the world, right? I mean, you, you see, you see the structure of like kind of your veins, right? And then you look at a tree and like, it's, it's the same underlying rules that are governing this behavior. Right. And there is something to be said about that. Oh Um, yeah. No, a hundred percent. I think there's a, in the book scale, um, he talks about, he actually specifically talks about veins 
and how blood flows through the body and how each uh basically once each vein breaks off into another kind of what that limit is in terms of and i could not explain to you how like the mathematics behind flow work (laughs) (laughs) but basically it's a similar structure between humans to us to like elephants and how that same constraint applies to all of us and I believe that he mentioned something about trees as well in terms of how water is distributed. But there is technically like a number or a limit to like, okay, blood can flow in a certain way. And it, the maximum, basically the way our veins are structured is about as efficient as it can get before, you know, if it deviates even mm. a little bit more in terms of like the degree, it wouldn't work. Mm. Or you might become across issues. Uh, but it is, like I said, they did identify as like similar across the board. Um, it's really interesting. Like I said, finding just kind yeah, of no, I, I, I was reading the description of this, the scale book on Amazon and they mentioned the example of the longevity of like mammals and how it's based on literally the size of the mammal. You can predict its longevity. And it was like the relationship was like if an animal is like twice as, as large, it lives 25% longer. Yeah. Uh, right. Something, so long, something along those lines. So it's just, it's just fascinating. Like you have mammals and they all kind of abide by a logic, this, this, this particular logic. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's no, just crazy. No. Right. The, the wildest thing I read in it, it was that, that whole idea of like how size works. So the bigger an animal it gets, um, technically it needs 25% less resources than it did mm. if it was smaller. Mm. But what they found is that the heart heart rate has a very big effect on the longevity or is pretty constant um, on, longe- on the longevity of a mammal. So small, like I think they said like a field mouse, it's heart, it's beats per minute is like, I don't know, call it 500 beats per minute. Mm. And you go all the way up to an elephant. It's like, call it 30 beats per minute. They will both ultimately have roughly around the same amount of heartbeats when they die. So call it a billion. Mm. It'll be, there's a deviation of, I don't know, a bit, but just because of the rate at which the heart is beating, the field mouse only lived like two years, but will have had a billion heartbeats. Whereas that elephant would have lived like 75 years, but still have had a billion heartbeats. Hmm. So they found that commonality between, Oh, it it was ridiculous from like the tiniest mammal all the way up to, I believe a blue whale um, is that similar that similar pattern, similar structure. You still have that constant, but the beats from a minute change and that affects the, the life of the animal. Is that why Donald Trump doesn't exercise? Oh is, is that why? He, he, can't, <laughs> he can't get his, his heartbeats heart heart You only get a few heartbeats, man. It's limited. Now, are the conclusions around uh, the discussions that, that you read around complexity theory, I mean, if it's even possible to draw a conclusion to this level, but is it fatalistic in a sense where if are are we prisoners of this order or is it empowering in that well this gives us kind of a blueprint by which we can understand the world around us and how we form ecosystems to to refine them and make them better or is it more like well it's useless because this theory is ultimately going to be governing every form of action and um, approach we take towards how we live our lives uh, I found it more liberating. And I think in the book, they even say like, they're not, they're never going to find like, this is the rule that governs all of the universe. Like that isn't what they're able to find. But what they can just find is those common, those common structures that kind of govern. For me, finding like, oh, okay, like one, I'm not going to build a city, but finding like, oh, okay, like the bigger city is, the more innovation that happens, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's liberating for me because now it gives, it make it helps it make sense. It's not 
random mm. and it's not there's there's an element i mean in any in chaos there's always going to be some element of randomness like i can't create no person is ever going to be able to create just a complex system like yes i'm going to put all these pieces right here and build exactly what i want but it's more like i'm gonna put these pieces here and hope they should you know if i want to make a if i want to make this particular area of the community better well let's you know let's create more more schools let's create more access to to to, to food let's make sure the water supply like you can put all these elements together to hopefully grow it and push it along in the right sense rather than like this one policy is going to change the this community for the positive like fully so for me at least it's like okay like there's it's not random it's not always just random chance there's an element of it but you can't influence it to an extent so for me it's liberating to know that like okay like i can i can have an influence in something um rather than like oh i have to live within these this framework and you know I, I just, for me personally i don't see it that way granted like i said i'm not building a city but it, understanding that helps me to kind it, of it would be nice for politicians to be aware of these patterns mm. you know when they're making policy yeah that's not just a one side like oh this one thing will change it now this is like one policy can help i'm sure but well, in the grand scheme of things yeah it's well like, in particular to me it's interesting because it's something like you see it it's a pattern that repeats itself that can almost in a scientific sense be well established versus you look at maybe some of the sociological research that's done that's a lot more flaky you know where where it's it, it's it's very difficult to like really um get at hard truths using the current methods that we have in, in the domain of sociology for example because it's just so i mean speaking of complexity yeah. right it's insanely complicated but if you look at it in a different way <laughs> Or if you're looking at kind of different structures or patterns and there's some relation to mathematics, it seems like, okay, we can actually know something about these complex systems without trying to run these incredibly elaborate experiments or, or experiments that are in practice not possible, even, mm. again, with the tools that we have. I, I think to a certain extent it might also, not to keep on tying it back to, towards politics or uh, economic development, urban planning, but I think we might have a level of explanation here as to maybe the failures of our political system in recent years to bring a, address needs of individual populations, because all policy and politics seems to have escalated to the federal level um, with things like social media over amplifying stories that sell, that that drive clicks and revenue, and now all focus is on. Uh, squabbles for the executive branch, elections for Senate or House of Representatives, as opposed to maybe a focus on issues that could immediately impact your community. So maybe an overabundance of um, narratives on federal policy and federal debate that doesn't necessarily have an immediate impact on a 50 mile radius around you, right? As opposed to, you know, if we, if we think about our community, Things like potholes or uh, water quality, that is immediately going to change our experience. And if maybe we took an approach of thinking about it in that sense, and then a similar approach was taken by our neighbors and the neighbor's neighbors, all of a sudden that complexity starts building up and you have a well-functioning, well-rounded ecosystem. But that's not really how I think our process of political thought and maybe drive towards policy is structured right now. 
I know it's going to be a, a weird tangent, but in terms of like <laughs> that, the whole argument of federal to local politics is like a huge issue right now. Um, it's easier. I, I forget what I was listening to or reading, but you know, it's easier for one person to pay attention to the federal level. Cause it's such, it's a spectacle. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, everybody kind of knows what's going on. It's the president of the United States. This is that. Whereas like, as you mentioned, honestly, what kind of affects your day-to-day life is what's happening like local politics but it's just not as fun to keep up with. It's not as attractive. You actually have to put an effort to figure out like who these people are. Um, it's a whole thing. And the, 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 the drive for people to pay attention to local politics needs to be, needs to be a little bit, uh, a little bit higher. Cause that's well, ultimately what affects it, your day to day. It's yeah. It's kind of like the race to the top for attention, right? You're only focusing at the top mm-hmm. of the pyramid. And, and we, we, I think we talked about this in the earlier episode where from like an evolutionary standpoint, you know, like you want to, <laughs> You want to focus on the leader of the tribe, you know, mm. because the, the value in what he's saying is so much more immense than like someone who's like at your level, for example. But obviously now we're not living in tribes of 50 people. We're living in societies of millions of people. And so, you know, it's, it's again, a mismatch of environments. And that leads to some of the political issues, I think, um, or at least one of the political, one of many political issues. Now, um, I think when it came, when it comes to complexity theory, you said, um, there's almost kind of this law that says things tend to get more and more complex. Did you allude to that? Or what did the book say about, um, that principle? About how things get more complex? Yeah. Um, it's like inevitable. yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Um, yeah. I may have read it in the book description too, so I might be conflating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I might be conflating what you told me and like no, what no, I read. No, 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 you're good. I mean, <laughs> I, I think have uh, two things to that. One is just as the world becomes more interconnected, there's the systems that are created are more complex. It just kind of use as you alluded to, when you have a tribe of fifty people, is much different than now. All of a sudden, I can pay attention to everything that's going on in the entire world. So, I mean, you can look at how the internet has changed our uh, perception of information. Like we can learn anything at any time, whenever. So that introduces a but new But most layer. of us choose to just scroll yeah. through TikTok. Yeah, scroll through TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy. It's so much easier than having to disseminate all this information. Um, so yeah, I mean, as the world has become more interconnected, especially with the advent of the internet, like it's things get more complicated because now like, okay, now I know what's happening in that corner of the world that I wouldn't have paid attention to before. So how does that affect me in my day-to-day? How does that affect my relationship with my own community or what I believe or et cetera, et cetera, because I see something else happening over there. Um, so yeah, as time has gone on, as we get more access to information, as we become more interconnected, these systems change drastically. Even the size of our cities, it changes significantly. So, I mean, you had, I don't know, say hundred years ago, like New York city would have been one of the largest cities in the world. Now, Tokyo is a city of like 25 million people, which is by far like one of the largest ever in the history of mankind. So it's like, well, how do we deal with that? And now you have cities popping up in like China or India that are like mm-hmm. consistently around like 10 million people, like per city. It's like, okay, well, this is way bigger than before we were traveling around. We had, you know, oh yeah, there's a town of a hundred thousand, there's a town of a thousand. Like it's just changing the way it is. So the more people you get in one spot, the more complex it gets. And um, yeah, they, that one, it, was, it didn't go too in-depth. It's just like, yeah, as time goes on, things are getting more and more complex. Now, now w- would you guys say it's a more complex life now? Mm. It, yes. I, w- I would disagree with it. I think yeah. life is simpler. 
Okay. My, my point being is, is I think that I, it, it's simpler in the sense that our immediate needs are met by outsourced function. So whereas maybe our time would be occupied by sourcing food, by, by procuring shelter, by um, secure, like, like, like protecting our, our food and shelter, all of that has been outsourced, right? So my immediate worry, and I think that's something we've discussed about in the past too, where our immediate worry is now kind of strained to the metaphysical, existential. existential you know, we start talking about things like purpose or um I guess maybe that is, that is complicated to a certain extent, but th there is very much kind of a introduction of leisure, for instance, which I think maybe is the antithesis of complexity because I don't have to deal with all the variables of how am I going to grow my food? How am I going to chase down that deer in the forest where that, that has now been figured out, which has simplified maybe my existence to a certain extent. But I, I guess what you're saying, in other words, is like life is... It's more simple in the sense that you don't have to do some of the tasks that are necessary for survival, but it's also, as you alluded to, less meaningful. We have more dull lives because now you have the introduction of things like bureaucracy, and I have to fill out a bunch of forms and things that are just like in the immediate moment. I mean, they serve a function, obviously, within the system, but in the immediate moments, like filling out a form like that's what? That's not interesting. Right. And think about all the things you have to do. Change your oil. You have to go to the dentist. <laughs> your teeth don't look like shit and they still might. And they might fuck up your teeth. <laughs> Not speaking from experience, but you know, um, you have all these like tasks that start to add up. And it's like, in some sense, it's more simple. In another sense, you know, um, I mean, maybe you can make an argument for, for some things being more complex, right? Like you have to have car insurance. You have to call the insurance company to get it. You have to do X, Y, and Z. You have to make sure they're not charging you more and more every month. There's all these little things that take up more mental bandwidth. Whereas in a certain qualitative sense, maybe you did have a simpler, simpler life if you lived in, say, a Native American tribe where, you know, like, okay... My task for the day is to make sure my, okay, my shelter's in good place. It probably is, right? Unless I'm a nomadic tribe. Um, and then like, okay, we have to get food, but like, okay, we know we have to get food. Yeah, the task of getting the food might be complex in the sense that okay, we need to know where the rabbits are. We need to know where the buffalo's going. But at a high level, it's, it's kind of, in, in some sense, more simple. Whereas in, in life today, you know, after college, you don't really have like, you know, this kind of structure about your life. You don't have like these goals that are necessarily laid out for you, whereas you would in these more ancestral environments. I would and argue so, that we actually have more structure and more goals now, because I, I think as we've advanced as a civilization, we've eliminated randomness. No, no, I, I, I agree that we have more goals, but it's harder to know, like, you're not going to tackle all of them, right? But that creates a, a, you know, an issue of like, how do you choose which goal? And it, it, like trying to decide what career you want to really do, if you sit down and think about it, it's actually a very difficult task, right? So like, yeah, we do have the abundance of all these options, but it's not necessarily obvious that, um, well, I don't know. I don't know where I was getting with that. <laughs> to Davis, what's your, what's, what's your take? No, it's, uh, for me, nowadays, life is complicated uh like i said in the past it's that whole hierarchy of needs things like yeah okay i need to find something to eat and i'm good and i'm happy like that was it 
now that we have that fulfilled, now it's like, okay, well, now what do I do? Like, well, I have this in that. I think that's kind of a big thing in society now. This nihilistic attitude of like, we lack fulfillment. You think of everything that happened with work over the past two years and people's like, I don't like what I do. I, I mean, that's the whole great resignation thing. Like, this this job was not for me, so I need to leave. Would you say this is a product of c- complex societies? Uh, is it inevitable? I mean, yeah, it was kind of inevitable. As we got better okay. at things, like it had to kind of work out that way. Um, I think, uh, yeah, the more people you had in one area, the more people you had to have do certain tasks. Um, obviously, you have economy of scale, so now you have food readily available, you have water readily available, and now you're just trying to figure out what your purpose is overall in this world. And so it's easier like you don't you know it's not life or death but mm-hmm. you're now you're dealing with fulfillment what brings you purpose what fills that void in your life that's not that like how do i have meaning when i have all this here um it's uh and now and then you have to sort through all the information that's out there like we mentioned with the internet like okay well let me figure out something that's that's useful i can i can choose photography i can go i can be an artist i can read books i can um paint like i can i can do anything possible then what do I do? I guess that's kind of the, the thing. Like if you don't have a framework, you're just kind of sitting there like I can do anything, but what, what matters to myself and trying to answer that question is where it gets tricky. And then you deal with all that. So complexity theory would suggest that when we start introducing automation and scale, for instance, mm-hmm. those sorts of questions will only increase tangentially, uh, not change, mm-hmm. uh, as they correlate with automation, taking over things like, you know, we're already seeing it right now with email drafting, for instance, right? Mm. We know there are computer programs that can slowly like eliminate that function at work and it's only going to increase its scale. So therefore, we're going to have more of these more quote unquote complex existential questions we're trying to address where, you know, what is my purpose if my purpose is not well, with our current economic system? I think for at least the past century purpose has largely been defined by economic output. Mm-hmm. And if you're no longer immediately producing an economic output, that's only going to start increasing the, the, these existential questions of, you know, what is my existence really for? Oh yeah. No, that was bad. like I said, I don't know compl- what complexity just theory says about that feeling other than that. Yeah. As things get automated and start replacing jobs that people would have done otherwise, like the vibes, what do you, yeah. yeah, Like, well, what do you do now? You know? And as you mentioned, like, what is, I'm not contributing to a system anymore. I'm just Mm -hmm. kind of here. Uh, And it's, it's a problem that people are already having these days. You know, it's actually interesting to think about, you know, with the introduction of, of AI and automation and robots, are we, is it possible to, in some sense say that we would be receding to a more simple system. I mean, it's complex in the sense that there are a few critical elements that are more complex, right? Like how many people are going to know how to program an an AI or the robots, but like less and less people are going to really need to be exposed to that complexity and more people will be kind of like, um, just enjoying the fruits of that labor. Well, I think it depends on a lot. Well, it of depends factors. on the yeah, political yeah. and economic situation that arises as a result. But yeah. you know, assuming a more of a utopian <laughs> interpretation <laughs> of things, we're, we're idealists here. I don't know. I don't know yeah. if we managed to carry that across. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, to your point of like it becoming simpler, I think it on for the most surf- people. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like on the surface, it seems that way. It's like I have less choices to make, but I'll still always be sitting there like, well, what am I doing? It's kind of like that Wally movie. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you had yeah. all those people just sitting around, just kind of chairs. Like, yeah, yeah. All right, well, we're here. And granted, I know the movie was about the robot himself, <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, it's kind of like, well, 
I do if everything's at my my fingertips. And it's kind of there's there's a couple books you could probably or things you could look up about people that have obscene amounts of money and didn't really create anything. They just kind of mm-hmm. just do stuff. Like it's not mm-hmm. they don't necessarily feel fulfilled. It's just kind of like okay, well, or even like even think about like Olympic athletes. Yeah, that whole thing. Like once they kind of hit the Olympics, win that gold medal, and they're like, okay, well now what? Yeah, you turn into like like. Yeah. I think Bill Burr referred to Lance Armstrong as like a sociopath on a bicycle. And yeah, it's like, you're just sitting there like, well, <laughs> it's like it's like if he if he like once he wins all the medals, he just starts doing crazy shit. Yeah, and it's cool from like uh, Olympic athletes, obviously like peak athlete, everything they need to do, and their dedication to that goal that they had um, is what drove them to that point. But as soon as you lose that goal, and in this case, like, well, now we don't have anything to do. As soon as you lose it, you're just like, well, crap, like, what am I? What am I doing now? Like I spent all my time and effort to get this thing. I got it. I feel great about it, but now what? So, so, so if complexity is essentially the enemy of well-being and happiness and purpose, <laughs> then is there a way? I mean, we talked about one possible way where complexity can be reduced, right? Like with the advent of AI, um, by outsourcing but, complexity. But but let's say we deliberately try to just have a more simple life and go back to more ancestral conditions because there, there are examples. And again, this is another thing that we've mentioned in a prior podcast where, you know, you had colonists uh, were, that were captured by native American tribes and released in prisoner exchanges would eventually go back to the native American tribes because they preferred oh, that yeah. way of life, which was, you know, in, in a sense, again, it, it's hard to define these words like yeah. simple, complex. Yeah. You know, what are you really referring to? But in, in some sense, it was a more simple life, and they preferred that. And there's even cases, I think, of Amazonian tribes today where people have gone have returned to these tribes. Um, and so is there something that we can do today deliberately to reduce the level of complexity, even if it's not as dramatic as, you know, living in a <laughs> hunter-gatherer-esque we society? We all become Amish, ultimately. Yeah. Amish, yeah. Amish societies are a good example. Yeah. But is there is there is there a way to still live in, like, the modern world and have a more simple life? Is that, I mean, living on a farm? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess, I mean, you think about every like self-help and all these things like this idea of like like meditate like taking time to actually step back from the hustle and bustle of what happens and all these things that you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis of you know your job and what you're gonna do next all these things like just taking time to actually sit and like okay it's cool um yeah the the, the time the, the time we live in now there's so much going on so much information that we have to somehow process uh across our own community like i mentioned earlier like we can see what's happening in the world like how do i deal like what does that do to me mentally like i see a war happening somewhere else i'm not even at like okay well how do i process that in my brain um so like i said we're bombarded with information and honestly just taking the time to and to the point of like people going back to like starting a farm it's like it's simple it's easy i just have to maintain this little plot of land i need to grow something nature's gonna do what it does i just have to deal with that and nothing else that's happening Three thousand miles, away. and then, like and then said, you start to think, "Where am I going to take a shit?" You know, <laughs> how's see, this? How's this taken care of? Exactly, but you just do it, and you're like, "Yeah, that's fine." You know, it's not, it's not super, super like existential or like yeah. that. So yeah, this whole idea of like just taking a step back to we we are in a very complicated time and trying to take it like one feeling that not sorry one is feeling that we don't have to deal with everything all at once. Um, and two, taking the time to step back of like, okay, like I don't, I need time to think 
and just live a simple life. Is there, is there anything in what you read, was there any discussion around extinction events and maybe how that impacts evolution or the, the development of communities? Yeah, they did mention something about this. Um, and I wish I could define it better. Um, this finite, Finite singularity or something like that. No. Basically, basically, sounds legit. Yeah, no, Sick. I would have to look up the actual definition of it. But this idea of that, like, as it, particularly with innovation, um, as society evolves, um, the rate of innovation gets faster and faster over time. And so we innovate with the idea that there's an infinite, um, there's infinite resources. Yeah. That is not true. So basically what he's saying is like, well, with every innovation, so if we, if we were to stick on one path of like, let's say, let's say we stuck with coal for as long as we, like, we just never did it, use anything else to coal, coal yeah. just did it. At some point we would, we would peak, it burn out, we'd fall mm-hmm. apart. And then luckily we, we moved on to something else. We moved on to oil and we're still kind of more or less on that phase. But basically saying as time moves on and as societies evolve, that rate of innovation actually has to increase. Um, and you can look at like, or sorry, that rate of innovation has to increase before it falls apart. Um, and that's what that singularity is. You just have to kind of, if you stay on that trajectory of whatever that resource is that you made, you just have to like shift it to something else. So take oil, for example, if we just stuck with that and did mm-hmm. nothing else, we would eventually hit that singularity fall apart. But what we're doing now is we're innovating, innovating, and now solar. And then some like, we're trying to go that route. But it just, the thing is your rate of innovation has to happen faster and faster every single time. And I think the example he used was, um, if you looked at, I want to say it was your computers or phones, the rate of innovation over the past like 50 years right. has been just ridiculous yeah. of like, I mean, you take a, like the computer that sent the man to the moon is like super, super, super simple. Like you could do that with almost whatever level of calculations it had done, you could basically do it from your phone now. Mm-hmm. And so just how quickly that's happened and you know, what is that next thing going to be now is phones is it's a different thing per se. Um, but it's just that rate of innovation. Like you just have to shift into a different, uh, I don't know. I can't think of the right word for it. You just have to shift into a different thing before you kind of reach that peak and fall apart. Um, and he like they've identified it or he identified quite a few in societies in the past um all the way back to like like pre um oh what's the thing is it the industri- yeah, industrial revolution so like pre before that just kind of that right that, that's interesting to think about i was just thinking of something like energy where you have to continually innovate to oh that's the big yeah <laughs> and i was thinking you know if you could harness the power of like fusion or fission whichever one it is uh, and essentially have like an unlimited supply or, or you get solar panels to the point where it's like a hundred percent efficiency. Right. I'm just mm-hmm. speaking out of my ass here, but eventually like, okay, like you, maybe you'll plateau for a second, but then like you might be creating devices that need to consume more and more energy. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, maybe you're running these virtual simulations of reality itself, or like you've created like an earth yourself. How much power is that going to take? And then all of a sudden the sun is actually not providing enough energy (laughs) to fuel people's smartphones in the year, like 3,500, right? Like, so there, there, there is, there is always like, you know, that law seems to make, make a lot of sense, right? Yeah, no. And I think that that's the point. It's like, well, you're limited by whatever in terms of energy output, you're limited by what that resource is. And as soon as you make a new one, it's fantastic, fantastic, but you're going to push it to its Mm -hmm. absolute limit before you all of a sudden need to find another one. So even like, like you said, with solar, like, 
okay, we can harness energy or something, but as we're gonna, if we're doing that, we're gonna use every amount of it. We're gonna keep pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, pushing and, and, it until I, we cannot use it and, and I, we have to ship something. And I think that's the interesting thing about these complex systems is like they, they kind of work off each other. You know, it's kind of like an arms race where even in evolution, like an example is like a cheetah's speed and like a gazelle's speed, like the faster fast. a cheetah gets and the more successful it is at hunting pushes, gazelles, the gazelle which has is like yeah. the, the, the fastest gazelles to reproduce more. And then like, you know, you have more mm -hmm. variation in that sense. And okay. Um, but, 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 which also, I think it introduces <clears throat> an interesting concept around there is never any, like, like, like our, our, civilization's experience is never one of like standing still yeah right we, we and as we advance you know the, the the innovation becomes a little bit more exponential as we've discussed but i think about this a lot in terms of the question of like world peace for instance whereas the concept i mean it, it's amazing right like denuclearization uh like demilitarization everybody lays down their weapons we figure out how to live as a collective civilization civilization we focus on the sciences and whatnot but then at some point you start realizing where that might not be possible because of this notion of we constantly have to be in motion mm -hmm. as a species and motion kind of creates conflict to a certain extent because it creates dissatisfaction. Mm -hmm. So then you start getting into a deeper thought process of are things like world peace even possible if indeed we have nothing that is going to allow us to stand still for a long period of time. Yeah. And, and then as a subconcept to that, it's also a question of, is this reality we're describing simply a product of a certain economic system that we've embraced and evolved in accordance to, historically speaking, or if we indeed did kind of transition over to a different economic model, would we be able to kind of stem the flow of uh, development and evolution for just for development's sake, so to speak, if that makes sense? No, I think this, particularly in your first point of like the whole concept of world peace, like for, we always have to, like you mentioned, we have to be in a state of motion. Mm -hmm. Nobody, I mean, it's just the way humanity is. We'll always find a reason to like hate someone else or find, like you mentioned, find friction. In my mind, like the only way to unify people is to have an external conflict. Aliens. And it, I know it sounds weird, but, like, <laughs> but that's typically, I mean, you yeah. can look at, even if you look at like just smaller societies and like war and stuff like that, like. If you're fighting against something else, that thing will be more, that will be more tightly wound. And to do it across a globe, it has to be something external. And it has to, typically, it has to be something physical. It can't be, mm -hmm. it's abstract concepts. People will perceive it the way they want to. It has to be like, I'm not saying aliens have to do all that stuff. I'm not trying to go that far, but, but basically, yeah, we, or in, in we, your, we in your point of the, we can't just fight bad vibes, man. Yeah, we can't just fight vibes all the time. But in your point of like an economic model of a shift in, in whatever it might be, I mean, the conflict that it would cause would be intense. But um, like I said, it would unify certain parts here and there. But yeah, we could never just be in world peace just with ourselves. I don't believe so. It'd be nice. It's a it's a fun thought, <laughs> but it's like yeah, we just can't. We'll always find something. We'll always look at that person that has more. We'll always look at the person that has less. We'll always look at the person that has the same, and wonder, well, I can do more. So let me figure out how to get there, regardless of. You know, there's and, always people. Like that. But I guess the question is, if our our evolution and kind of embrace of the exponential increase of complexity, right now it seems at least in this country a lot of that a lot of that is done for the sake of let's say profit right oh. we we are we are driving forward we are moving forward because we are generating profit mm -hmm. and 
if we introduced a different economic model where let's say we were evolving for the sake of humanity, right? We were evolving for the sake of, you know, why, if you look at the funding of sciences in the United States, I believe a lot of it, it comes from the private sector, right? Because the private sector is trying to innovate and I may have, be totally wrong. I just made that up. Um, but my my my, no, my feeling is that it, it, pri- private sector drives research because research is going to stimulate you know things like product development, mm-hmm. which is going to make you more competitive against you know uh, another company on the market. But if we looked at it from a standpoint of well, we're going to evolve and create a cure for. Uh, for for cancer, for instance, because that is what we need for humanity to advance. Would that kind of slow and maybe change the nature by which um, complexity enters our lives? That's a- you would think it would have an impact. I don't know whether it would um, completely undermine what he was saying in terms of inevitably having these conflicts because you're still moving in some direction, even though... You know, it's not a direction like, you know, that capitalism as it is set up currently in the U.S., enforces or, or, or amplifies kind of like the more conflicted um i guess direction that we're heading um but yeah i don't know i mean is that kind of what you're saying is yeah. it, can, can you change the incentive so you're not moving towards mm-hmm. towards a more perilous right future yeah. yeah i mean it's yeah you always have to innovate for something whether you know, it be profit, whether it be, you know, protection, whether or like defense, for example, mm-hmm. um, there always has to be a reason to innovate. And if you can, sh- uh, right now, you're right, we innovate for profit. Well, the richest company on earth is Apple, right? Probably. I'm pretty yeah. sure. I'm pretty sure. Cause they hit the trillion, trillion dollar market cap mark. What? So yeah, we're, we're, yeah, I think last year or something. It was ridiculous. M- most profitable company on earth is this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Right now we innovate for, for profit. I'm sure it could shift, you know? It, it could buy us time, you know, as we get more and more intelligent, maybe we can find a way to limit the conflicts that are naturally going to emerge from the pace of innovation and all these other factors that accompany life. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's my- the only thing I would say, but yeah, it, I mean, to also go back to your earlier point about, you know, kind of the, oh, geez, it just escapes me right now. Um, the we have to continue to innovate because we're going to run out of say certain resources right and you look at capitalism and this model of infinite growth which yeah. is blatantly unsustainable mm-hmm. i mean we have to i mean like something has to be done about that right yeah no and yeah, like i said i think capitalism just really i think at the end of the day no matter how far back in history you go like people will always want to grow like growth is inherent any village any society like they will try and optimize and be as efficient as possible and innovate with if i have a farm how do i make this farm the best possible and once i get that the best possible and make another farm i think that's true in just human nature of always wanting something more i think capitalism just kind of took that and just like all right well we're going to do that and apply it to everything um and profits what drive that 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 spur of innovation um so would you say then that regulation against some of these things in a capitalistic system is sort of um best case it's it's just kind of like a temporary uh, barrier and it's eventually the dam's going to eventually burst anyway <laughs> you know it's, it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting thought i don't know i mean regulations always useful but then you're always going to want to have you, there's someone that's always going to want to break whatever regulation that is 
no matter if it's good, bad, someone somewhere is going to want to break it. Um, and it's just, I feel like it just becomes a dance of like this particular segment of society is going to continue to invite. We're going to regulate it. And you're just constantly kind of in this motion of trying to basically balance each other out. Um, I don't think anyone, you know, you know, this makes me think of something that's sort of related to what you're saying, but a bit of a tangent, but as things continue to get more and more complex, like our political systems, Mm -hmm are not able to like think about things that are being innovated. Like our political systems aren't being innovated yet. Society is becoming, you know, exponentially more complex. Oh, we're trying to govern exponentially more complex societies with essentially like stone age level. (laughs) Right. So like, that's very true. So, I mean, it, it seems doomed to fail. Like what I would say is you can't rely on a system, right? Because, a more complex system is going to have even more and more bureaucracy. If you think it's bad now, if you think about all the forms that you have to fill out, you know, and government is bad now, imagine something that is actually corresponding to the level of like complexity we actually have in society. Right. I think what you need, I mean, you need a new way of thinking almost, but I, I would say first and foremost, you can never develop a political system or even an economic system that is going to, be perfect or address all the all the details correctly i think you have to invest in each human being that is a part of that system and the more robust you can make the people then the less perfect the system of governance has to be that would be like how i would approach it but that's also difficult you know then then the you know it's almost like a circular problem because then like to get to those robust people you need a system of governance that like prioritizes education, which, you know, on, on its face seems doable, but in the U S that seems to be like not entirely doable. for yeah, some no. Reason. <laughs> no, like I said, I think, and it comes down to like, we always want one particular answer. I don't think there is, you know, this system will work indefinitely. Like I mentioned earlier, it's always going to be a dance of like, you know, it works now. We'll have to change it as, as long for me to your, it's a couple of things here. To your point, yes, our political system is freaking old. It's very, we're, we're, com- every society is complex now. It needs to change. We have two parties. Like, what? Like, how do we have two parties for the entire, you know, all of our, that, that, ba- that we base all of our decisions on? I think the perfect system is the one that adapts and that can f- kind mm-hmm. of flow with what's happening rather than like, you know, this, this model will work indefinitely like that's just not gonna happen look all, something that all i'm saying is afghanistan has existed for centuries <laughs> oh. <laughs> that is true it has existed the notion of afghanistan <laughs> has been, been there. they have outlived every empire <laughs> but what you're essentially saying is writing down rules on stone tablets and like that that fixed system is, is just not no it's, it's cool. not sustainable it's cool for a while and like i said everything will work for a bit but like I said, you need, like I said, everything needs to evolve with everything else. And as you mentioned earlier, yeah, we're in, we're complex. Like we're we're a global global economy, global politics. Everything is just so interconnected. And yet, you know, yeah, two parties. That's what you guys get to vote on. <laughs> England has like four. Well, it's funny. Oh, oh, oh. No, it's it's. Yeah, I mean, it's another point. You know, it's like we have this incredibly complex society and we have two parties yeah no <laughs> you know we like, binary choices yeah b- right? two binary like, choices completely of, insane right? they're, they're, yeah. i think there's also a level of 
in a tribe of 50 people, you might have had three options. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the percentage-wise, that's great. <laughs> yeah. I think there is a level of hubris that might come with the thought that we ourselves, uh, maybe as a country or a civilization, are not going to become victims of like the, the scaling complexity. Uh, we talked about Native Americans earlier, and that that's definitely a civilization that was crushed ruthlessly by just the tide of development and mm-hmm. like, you know, one group of motherfuckers figured out how to like use gunpowder to shoot guns. And all of a sudden they're, you know, running all, all over the world, you know, making life difficult for everybody. But there is this thought of like, I think a lot about, um, th- there's a, a journalist and author named Charles Bowden who exclusively wrote on Arizona and his big thesis was like Arizona, like the, what we understand as Arizona now is essentially just a testament to failed civilizations because it's layers of bone and debris and like spearheads and it's different people come in and they try to build up their, you know, towns and, and, and empires in Arizona and they all fail because Arizona ultimately speaking is not hospitable to longstanding human life. And here, and he's always like, like we, and he wrote like in the seventies, eighties and nineties, he's like, we think that we are the ones that are going to conquer that, but it's just not going to happen. And I think that's kind of a greater thesis maybe around this notion that we are going to be the, the civilization, the country, maybe the, 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 the polity that's going to weather the tide of increased complexity. And we're going to come out on the other side of it you know, in our current shape and our current form and our current two party system, if you will. But it very well may be that we ourselves will not be the top dogs that emerge out of maybe the exponential drift of history and, and economics. And so to speak, does that make sense? It's kind of space brainy, but, but no, I think, I yeah. mean, I think that's the, the fear now is like, yeah, we're, we're not going to weather the storm, but, and I, my thing about this kind of and I can't speak for why civilizations fail. There's a whole book on that, actually. What? I think I think it's the name of the book. They wrote a book about it. <laughs> oh, it's called Disaster, I believe. But it's this idea, like, everybody wants to hold on to that framework or that system yeah. so tightly that, yeah, eventually, like I mentioned, nothing works and nothing sustains in perpetuity. Like, it will break. Yeah, you might be top. I feel like it's better to last long than last a short amount of time at the top. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah okay like i might not be able to sustain this overall and yeah we might have to shift and change some things but at least we can last longer than if like yeah fuck it we're, we're buckling down we're gonna fight we're gonna fight the tide of of life or the tide of 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 uh whatever whatever changes there are we're gonna fight it tooth and nail but but, but we're not the way but you is. know we're not designed that way because it's it's kind of like the principle of if you're not first you're dead <laughs> you, you know because it, <laughs> If you're not if, if you're not on the top, you leave yourself vulnerable. So there's this massive incentive for all parties to try to get to the top and be the top dog, right? And 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 that I mean that poses a lot of the conflicts that we see in the world today. Yeah. Right? Which it, which brings back the original point that we there is a need for an external <laughs> uh, enemy or a force as like a unifying and a rallying factor for everybody. So indeed. But, yeah, people. Yeah. People say it as a joke, but yeah, if aliens came, we, yeah, we, we had would, to fight them. Oh, we would them, unify so quickly. But we'd be exterminated quickly too. <laughs> if we're being that honest, too, yeah. But mastered. we we would be the most unified we'd ever been as a globe. We're like, hey, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the first sudden, hundred days will be a nice reality show for the aliens. They're like, yeah, oh, they exactly. think they have a chance, and then, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's funny. 
Mm. But no, I think, yeah, you just have to be adaptable. And to your, I mean, to your point of like, we, we do have this inherent belief that we have to, if you're not first, you're dead. I don't, I, like I said, I, I would want to look more into that and see how true it is. Cause like, I feel like the more you can adapt to a situation, regardless of your first, as long as you don't die, <laughs> the more you can adapt to the situation, the longer you can. No, survive. I agree with you. I think that. that's, uh, but the way we think is that way. Yeah, for sure. no, I yeah. agree. I think we should try to aim for that for a more sustainable like approach, but mm. Again, it's just, I mean, it's good luck <laughs> convincing people. Yeah. To like, of that. you're fine. Like, yeah. You don't have to fight your way up all the time. Like, you'll be good. You'll come out on top eventually. Yeah. All right. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an interesting thought. Let's end capitalism. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> Wait a second now. <laughs> you're with it now. You <laughs> hit. <laughs> That's going to come up on a job interview. <laughs> Unless capitalism saves, uh, saves the day, saves, saves humanity. Well, you know, there's also the argument that you need more innovation to grapple with the downsides of the current level of innovation that we have, and maybe the only way is for a capitalistic system to kind of drive for a capitalistic system mm -hmm. to survive is to be even more capitalistic, you know, <laughs> in a sense. I mean, to a certain extent, I think electrical vehicles, and they have their problems, right? You know, the lithium batteries are just as like, destructive to the environment, like in their production process. However, the push towards uh, removing oil dependency in our, in, our, in our transportation networks isn't happening. Well, there is government incentive to it, but it's largely driven by the market to a certain extent. We have all, you know, you have you have Tesla, you have Rivian emerging as a potential competitor um, because, you know, Amazon's buying their electrical fleet of, of delivery vans and whatnot. That, that's all kind of happening in a, in a largely independent ecosystem, again, with incentives for, from the government for, um, you know, tax breaks and whatnot. Mm -hmm. but, but maybe that is how it works out. Right? Maybe capitalism is going to come through at the end of the day. Well, yeah, it's it, it's difficult to assess when you're kind of like in the moment, but mm -hmm. and maybe in hindsight we'll see like okay, capitalism was actually like the absolute greatest system because there was a bit of a you know a bit of trouble you know yeah, early we, on. Yeah, we had some quirks. <laughs> we almost you know destroyed the entire climate and everything and absolutely polluted the earth, but eventually it's le it's led to these like unbelievably innovative technologies oh, yeah. that. Have reversed climate change. They've cleaned up the earth of all the microplastics, and we're living in absolute tech utopia. They they know? cleaned up all the shit they they, they, they caused. It's, it's like talking to like hardcore communists. It's like, look, yeah, like Stalin and Mao. They they killed hundreds of millions of people, but 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 <laughs> no, was, uh, yeah, capitalism <laughs> definitely has a good. The rate of change or like the rate of innovation is just obscene because you have competition, um, and that drove it. I mean, really quickly. Mm -hmm. which it's been a benefit. I mean, although I, the internet has its negatives for sure. Like mm -hmm. The connectedness it's given us yeah. has been like, wow, would you look at that? Cause we wouldn't have, there would have been no reason to do that. Even the whole thing about the space race back in the fifties, like granted that was, I wouldn't say it was capitalism or so. It was, just, no, it was like, competition with communism, competition yeah. with communism, but the, the amount of innovation it drove just from that is like, Oh wow. Okay. So it, it did speed things up. I think it's, up in the, I think it's still up in the air though, to say whether it's been like a net positive or negative. Oh yeah, true. We'll probably be dead by the time. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> that, that kind of brings it also is that we, you know, ultimately speaking, if you know, complexity is exponential, but we're also experiencing it in a tiny little sliver of experience that mm -hmm. um, we're going to see in our. You know, I hope both of you live very long, fulfilled lives. But you know, <laughs> seventy to 80, 85 years. Mm -hmm. 
we're not going to see the full the full tide of things. So in a certain extent, our, our experience is limited and we're experiencing complexity within a small sliver of a greater path of development. And somebody eventually will sit down and be like, ah, yes, like 200 years of this, right? And it's going to be meaningless to us, but somebody's going to study this and look at it from a standpoint of were these incremental changes we are making actually effective or not effective mm-hmm. in the, the greater tide of how things go. That evolve. would be fascinating for sure. I mean, just like we're doing now, like we're looking in the past to see like, oh yeah, like industrial revolution really sped things up, didn't it? Yeah. Prohibition didn't work, but like, you know, just yeah. analyzing all these things that happened. Like, okay. Some dude lived his entire, you know, entire life probably couldn't get a beer. I know. Oh, <laughs> dang. That's kind of sad. Rest in peace. <laughs> all right. Time? We are right on the hour mark. So I think we have covered every topic under the umbrella. Davis, do you have any closing thoughts? Do you have anything that you want to leave us with? Oh man, some profound. Something something profound. If you can get more deep than, than uh, you know, we have no free will and whatnot. Uh, I'll say not an expert by any means, but <laughs> but you know, just exploring the, the the topic of of a complex system or you know why things happen the way they do, why things develop the way they do has given me a sense of like understanding of how life should be lived going forward. I'll never know all the answers. And as you said earlier, like we won't know the outcome of the decisions made today in a hundred years, but, <laughs> but, you know, always striving to, to know that I, even though I might be a small part of the cog, I'm still an important part. And even though there's a lot of things that are outside of my control, I can still influence my day-to-day with the people I interact with, with the people, you know, I come across. Um, and like I said, who knows? That one person I say hi to, based on what complexity theory, that whole butterfly effect, mm-hmm. and how everything's tied together, mm-hmm. that person might go on to do something, do something uh, further. So, all like I mentioned, although things are outside of our control, there's still stuff you can do day-to-day. Um, small pieces, man. Small but, pieces. But ultimately, small pieces we don't know. Thing. We don't know shit. True. Toilet philosopher says we don't know shit. Don't know anything. No. <laughs> well, I think we need to define toilet philosopher. A- amateur <laughs> philosophy, right? Uh, yeah, we'll never know anything. Or ne- uh, never know everything, but uh, yeah. Well said, well said. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for listening to Radius of Reason. We'll be back again soon. Thanks for joining us, Davis. Appreciate it. Adios. <laughs> Goodbye.